3: Leach Report Radio Network is on the air with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. It's the daily gathering spot for the Big Blue Nation to hear the latest news and views on the cats. If you have a question for Tom, email Report at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Tom Leach KY. Now, here's Tom.
2: Good day, everybody. Welcome in to the Leach Report presented by Bobcat Enterprises. Coming up today, we'll recap Kentucky's win at Arkansas with Keith Farmer, who was there to cover it for BBN tonight. Brandon Ramsey will join us to break down the tape of what he saw in Kentucky's victory, progress, uh, what's still on the to-do list, etc. And Adam Luckett, a little um, Kentucky football talk there to wrap up the Monday show. Wildcat news of the day presented by Giuseppe's of Lexington. Kentucky got a much-needed victory at Arkansas, 63-57. to 57. At this point, it's uh, early January. A loss would have been certainly a big setback as far as pursuing uh, the uh, SEC regular season title. Wouldn't have been the end of the world, but it was uh, a big step forward off what we saw at South Carolina on Tuesday night. Kentucky, after a bad start, uh, Got, started to get comfortable with playing against uh, a team that was physical with them uh, on uh, drives in particular. The uh, kickouts for three-point shooters that we uh, didn't see in the South Carolina game, we saw especially in the second half and that three-point shooting was big for Kentucky's uh, comeback win. Uh, they uh, finally pulled even early in the second half and fell behind by six again and then slowly... Um, made uh got got control of the game and then pushed it out led by as many as 10 i believe after trailing by 10 in the first half so a uh, 20 point turnaround over the course of the game for kentucky antonio reeves con- continues to put up all american numbers with 24 points his 10th game with 20 or more and uh, you know his ability to to score in more ways than just catch and shoot um uh, makes him the player that he is as far as what uh, postseason accolades he should get. Uh, Reed Shepard was fantastic in the second half with all 14 of his points, also five assists and four steals. Uh, Trey Mitchell at a fourth double-double, 10 and 11. And Ugana Anyenso was fantastic, in particular defensively with three blocks. He also had four rebounds, scored six points for the Wildcats. But uh, the three blocks doesn't uh, begin to talk about his defensive impact and uh, we'll get into a little bit of that with uh, the coach Brandon Ramsey a little bit later on Arkansas scored 0.82 points per possession that's Kentucky's best defensive number this season uh, and uh, probably by a wide margin and that's according to kenpom.com in which Kentucky improved about 30 spots in defensive efficiency in just one game so you know all the, the talk about Kentucky couldn't get better defensively. They were who they were. Look, defend, defense is a lot about desire and dedication. I thought Mike DeCoursey made some good points in, here on Friday where there's some things Kentucky doesn't have the the height or length at the guard position that uh, you would have, say, to be just a, an elite defensive team. Uh, they've got uh, some freshman bigs that are still learning how to play pick and roll, but uh, Uganda certainly made a big step forward as a sophomore in doing that on Saturday. Um, so they've got some some things working against them to be a great defensive team, but they could get significantly better, and they took a step in that direction on Saturday. Uh, women's basketball lost at Alabama, 91-74. The U.K. women stay winless on the road, 2-5 and five in SEC play. Links to the stories that we talk about. You can find them on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. Heading to a break, Keith Farmer will join us when we come right back. Get his take on seeing the game up close and personal there in Fayetteville on Saturday. Wildcat news of the day, a service of Giuseppe's of Lexington. You can go to Giuseppe'sLexington.com and see the menu of the fantastic offerings that they have and then know that you can... Uh, Have it in a fantastic environment, their atmosphere, with live jazz music in their lounge. If You sit there every night of the week. They've got that climate-controlled patio. Gift cards, too, if you want to uh, get a gift for someone special that's hard to buy for. Get your gift cards. We'll be right back with Keith Farmer. 14 past the top of the hour on the Leach Report for this Monday as we welcome Keith Farmer into the program. As the Wildcats went out to Arkansas and won 63-57. Keith was there to cover it for BBN tonight. So you'll see a lot of that coverage coming up on the show uh, tonight and uh, this week on Lex eighteen here in Lexington and uh, elsewhere around the state. Keith, uh, was that your first time to Bud Walton? It was, yeah, and it was kind of one of those SEC bucket list places because you know,
0: yeah, um, I know we got a lot of young folks that are in the. Uh, in the media around here but for for those older guys you know that remember you know back in the 90s seeing this uh, rivalry develop it was you know just need to be there see you know see the the atmosphere and um you know just knowing that history of like i said nolan richardson going up against patino and tubby smith teams
2: so i spoke to coach richardson briefly before the game uh, uh ran into mm. him in the hallway he was there um and um the place was sold out so even at a you know, at 1 in 5 in the league which actually they were last year and still made the sweet 16 but it was you know Kentucky mm-hmm. was in town so the crowd uh, brought its game and um you yep. know this was a, a game where you know can, when Kentucky started 1 for 16 uh, you um you know probably don't win many of g- games when you have that start um, but <laughs> the fact that Arkansas wasn't able to separate from Kentucky during that time was was big actually you know Kentucky only being down two at the halftime was uh was huge I thought and um you know you you can say Arkansas has struggled offensively their numbers are bad They're last in offensive efficiency in the league I get all that but if you look beyond the numbers and, and look at the way Kentucky defended it was clearly better I thought
0: Oh, for sure. And, you know, and, and basically the only thing, like you said, that kept them in it in that first half. Um, because, you know, while Kentucky was missing all their shots to start with, uh, Arkansas was hitting all theirs. And it was just kind of amazing watching the media up there sitting next to each other just going, wow, this they missed another one. You know, how can this happen? You know, <laughs> this offensive machine that they've been all year. But then they really turned to the defensive side. I thought Ugo did a great job in pick and roll. And, and I thought that helped with him being out there. And then, you know, they held Arkansas to, what was it, like 2 or 15 at the end of the first half. And then it just kind of seemed to carry over to the second half defensively.
2: Really, up until the South Carolina game, nobody uh, got rough with Kentucky to any great extent. Um, right. They uh, you know, didn't uh, try to make them win ugly. And South Carolina did a fantastic job of doing that. Kentucky, you know, didn't handle it well, whatever, whatever, whoever you want to give more credit or blame to. But yeah, Arkansas was certainly, they're not as equipped to do it as as South Carolina, not as good as the, as South Carolina at it. but they were still, you know, uh, very physical. There was nothing easy into the lane uh, early in the game. And so uh, Kentucky was continuing to struggle. I thought it was, very you know, significant moving forward that they found a way to get comfortable with being uncomfortable in that game. And uh, that's you know, what it was going to take to uh, be able to, to start to find some rhythm again offensively, and I thought they did that in mm-hmm. that second half, especially mm-hmm. you know, the thing that we didn't see in the South Carolina game, guys drove, you didn't see the, the throwback or the, the kick out to the side or the throwback to the top for an open three, mm-hmm. which uh, mm-hmm. you saw in this game.
0: You know, uh, to me, I I, I tweeted this out. It felt like a a tournament game, like uh, not NCAA maybe, but maybe an SEC tournament game. Mm -hmm. And the reason I said that is because it felt like one possession here or there could have turned the game where Arkansas could have built a a bigger lead or Kentucky could have, you know, just come back like they did. And uh, I, I think it's huge going forward that they can get into a game like this and, as you said, win ugly and and try to figure things out uh, when things aren't going your way. And, um, you know, especially in a hostile environment. I mean, that place was rocking um, pretty much all the way through until Kentucky made that late run. And, you know, so to me, um, this pays dividends towards the end of the season.
2: I saw John Rothstein of CBS uh, tweet out something. uh, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was very positive about Antonio Reeves who – is has to be one of the most overlooked uh, great players this season um, because, you know, Kentucky's got all, all this talent, and, you know, an exciting freshman. But Reeves mm-hmm. is just, you know, churning out 20-point uh, games, 10 of them already this season uh, for Kentucky in, uh, in what, 19 games. Um, he is uh, scoring, in a, you know, in different ways. And, you know, just make it – those were – big baskets when Arkansas pushed the lead back out Mm. to six at 37, 31 Reeves and Shepard scored 11 of the next 13 points.
3: Mm.
0: And, and, you know, that's um, something that early on in the season, I felt like Reeves felt like he really had, it it felt like he had to have the ball in his hands all the time. He had to be scoring um, probably because he just didn't know the team as well as he did, even though he's on the inside, you know, I mean, he just felt like he was the one that had to carry him, had to get him going. Now I think he realizes there are a lot of scores on this team, but when it comes down to it, um, he's the guy when you need the bucket. And it, he's found his ways to do it more so than just, you know, standing out around the three-point line. That floater's become deadly. Uh, he can fake the three and just take a couple of steps inside uh, the arc and, and hit a deeper two. And, uh, you know, to see him get so well-developed, I, I, I'm thinking, yeah, he needs to start being talked about and he was asked about it afterwards, you know, into All-American talk. And, um, you know, the thing about him is he's just going to let that come to him. He's he's not braggadocious. He's not, you know, worried about individual honors. Um, and, and so
2: that's something that's neat to see as well. Something uh, just to what we're talking about, and Kyle Tucker retweeted this from somebody else. Antonio Reeves trying to become just the fifth college player since 1992 to shoot 50 percent from the field 40 percent from three 90 percent from the line while averaging 20 or more per game right now he's 50 42 and 88 with a 19.5 average
0: those are pretty good numbers um uh, but again um if if he could win a championship he would gladly watch those dip um you know Uh, If there was something that was neat to to see the other night, it was that we know Cal always shortens his bench towards the end of the year. And I really think he found uh, that that core five towards the end of the game that he stuck with. And I I don't think he's going to go to five with this team. But
4: um, we may start saying
0: shorten this bench a little bit and and go with some of those guys because it it was a, a pretty successful group of five out there at the end of the game.
2: Yeah, he, uh, he rode that group for most of the second half. Um, yeah. Briefly pulled out on Yenso for Bradshaw and then uh, ain't, ain't got Hugo <laughs> back in. Um, Keith, appreciate the time. And uh, folks can watch for you on uh, LEX 18 and uh, BBN Tonight. Go to bbntonight.com for the content that, uh, if you don't catch the show live, you can see it uh, on your own schedule. <laughs> Thank you, Keith. All right. Thanks, Tom. We'll talk to the coach, Brandon Ramsey, when we come right back. It's the Leach Report. Coming to you from the Clark's Pump and Shop studio, return, refresh, and refuel. You, thanks to Bobcat Enterprises each day, new locations open in Walton, Kentucky. That gives them four in the bluegrass now. And if you are looking for heavy equipment to rent or buy, or maybe a new zero-turn mower to handle your lawn... No place better to go than Bobcat Enterprises. They give you fantastic service after the sale. That's been a hallmark since they opened the first location. You can find the location nearest you. Just Google Bobcat Enterprises in Kentucky. Joined now by Brandon Ramsey, a former coach who's uh, doing the posts uh, for KSR and On3 Sports. He's got a YouTube channel, podcast. We'll talk about all of that. Uh, but we want to start by talking about Kentucky basketball, uh, Brandon, and the, uh, the win at Arkansas. And uh, it was not the the blowout that uh, Arkansas had been getting in SEC play, but to start one for sixteen, you're probably not going to blow too many people out.
1: No, that, that's going to make it very hard, especially when when, when playing on the road. Um, yeah, it, it was a it was a very ugly start um, in, in a lot of ways for most teams or for, for for both teams, but obviously from our side of things. It stood out more for Kentucky, and yeah, when you just never would have expected a game even coming off of the South Carolina matchup where obviously the offense struggled uh, more than it had all season, but for Kentucky to be in a situation where they had scored four points through I think over 10 minutes of the game, like I just don't think any of us would have ever imagined a situation where that would be what we were witnessing um, given what we had seen all season from this offense.
2: I think it may have been uh, you that I saw, first saw the stat from AP top 10 teams uh, going into the weekend uh, mm-hmm. were winning less than 40% of the time on the road against unranked teams. And that uh, statistically uh, over time that number is usually in the 70s and i think the worst year i think on the the tweet you posted i think maybe the worst year was 2016 when it was like 62%. So it's like 39% yeah. at the moment. Um, and you know there was at least one more of those on Saturday with Auburn losing in Mississippi State. So what's is it just a you know an outlier year or is there some reason for it? Well, i i think it's fair
1: to say at this point that it it, it may not be an outlier. Like i i think we're enough into the season now where the the numbers are so staggeringly different that I I do think that we're just witnessing a continued evolution towards parity in in college basketball, and I think that I think a lot of us that watch a lot of college basketball kind of have felt it happening for a couple years, um, and, and probably have seen it happen at a higher level this year, just because we've we've witnessed so many weeks where there's some some pretty strong upheaval in the. Top 25 poll, especially among the top 10, and then when you see a number like that to kind of back up the eye test, you're like, well, okay, I guess this is what's happening. And, and yeah, I, I think that there's there's less of a difference probably than ever before between the top couple teams in a in a conference and a team that's you know in the bottom half, and and that's how upsets like that can happen, especially away from home, is when. The difference between the number eight team in the country and the number eighty team in the country just isn't all
2: that great and with the you know the transfer portal uh, in particular teams that are older probably in most cases aren't as talented as you know a team like Kentucky but then Kentucky's really young so each way you're giving up something right and and I think you saw
1: that you know in a game like South Carolina where they have a lot of a lot of transfer guys, guys that have played a lot of college basketball games, and now it's it's not like Kentucky is just full of spring chickens. I mean we got Antonio Reeves and Trey Mitchell that have played I think now close to a combined two hundred and fifty college games so that that should make up for some of it, but still when I mean at any given time Kentucky has three guys out there generally who it's it's one of their first big road SEC environments still when they go on the road. so it, it it is just harder for teams like that, I think to to go into some of those environments and answer the bell when they get punched in the mouth. And that's why I was so impressed and I think we even talked about it when when Kentucky went on the road and beat Florida to start off SEC play it was like that that's not really what's supposed to happen with these young teams. and I think, Like what we saw against South Carolina was more of what the norm is.
2: Talk with Brandon Ramsey from On3Sports. KSR will continue the chat in just a moment, get a little deeper into uh, some of the breakdown of Kentucky's win at Arkansas. He said, stick with me. Here's here's the deal with him. If he would have said this at South Carolina, I probably would have played him more than I played. But he looked like a deer in headlights. Everybody saw it and said, what happened to him? But I said, no, I came up to him. If that ever happens again, you look at me in the eye and say, stick with me, Coach. Just stick with me. I'll be fine. That was John Calipari on our post-game interview on the UK Network talking about uh, the Reed Shepard interaction. And Reed was 0 for 5 in the first half on Saturday. Scored 14 in the second half. Visit with Brandon Ramsey. Uh, the uh, former coach who breaks down the tape for posts at On3Sports and and KSR. And, you know, moving uh, Reed to be the primary ball handler there in the second half was, uh, I thought, significant for Kentucky. Uh, The offense uh, started to find a little more rhythm. I thought, you can uh, tell me if I'm right on this, that the main thing that he did versus uh, what we saw at South Carolina, he drove to pass and found guys open on the perimeter when Arkansas was trying to, you know, Collapse and uh, and be physical on the drives.
1: Yeah, I I thought that Reed did a, did an excellent job. Um, obviously, with, with with the ball in his hands in the in the second half, and that was that was a key adjustment. I thought to to getting the the offense on track and scoring instead of twenty four or whatever we had in the first half. And um, he he is certainly uh, very comfortable. As a playmaker, um, you know one of the things with getting the ball in his hands more is you you potentially limit some of his off-ball shooting, but that doesn't really matter as much with this team because they still share it so well. And we obviously saw him make some threes in the in the second half too, with the dagger at the end of the game uh, there as well on a pass from Trey Mitchell. So I I think that really overall I thought Kentucky did a much better job in the second half, and it's something I talked about. Of, of sharing the ball, Reed Shepard being a big part of that. Of instead of trying to score on the first drive so much, and we saw that not work as well early in the game when DJ Wagner missed a couple, Adewale Tiereo missed one, uh, Reed Shepard himself missed a couple, and it was it was always on the first drive. And in the second half, there was a lot more driving, kick for a three, drive and redrive it, and it's just a little bit easier to to loosen some things up around the basket.
2: And also a little insight I thought there and what Calipari was saying. They uh, told Reed, you know, if, if you're struggling, you got to come to me and, you know, tell me because, because you have a freshman, so you're still, you know, learning. And the thing with coaches, and this is, I think, true in all sports, they've got to trust that, you know, you, like if you're a football coach, if I got to trust if I'm going to put you in the game that you know the play and you're going to do the right thing. Uh, or here, if you're the basketball coach, I got to, you know, I have that, that trust that, uh, you know, you're going to you're ready for this because you know wasn't comfortable with i guess the look in in reed's eye and he didn't look he looked a little shaky down at south carolina now you know if he'd played more maybe he played his way out of that but Calipari wasn't uh you know in the in the heat of battle was maybe not fully you know sure that that would happen so he didn't play him as much and he played him a lot in this game and that is you, you've coached you can speak a little bit to what that dynamic is like for a fan. Absolutely, I, I, I think a lot of it is, as you
1: mentioned, it, it, it's building trust, and that and that just takes a little while um, th- throughout a season, especially with freshmen, and, and it's some two way trust as well. Like Reed has to kind of be empowered to have the confidence to go up to a, a Hall of Fame coach and say, like, "Hey, coach, I know I struggled, but I've got this. Like, I feel like a half," and Coach Cal has to be able to. Trust his players. A, if they say something like that, that they mean it, and everything's going to be okay. And then also, he just has to trust that these guys, you know, he he recruited them all for a reason. He thinks they're all really good. And just because they miss a few shots in the first half doesn't mean they're going to miss them in the second half. And I think it was especially telling when I went back and rewatched it. Like some of the shots he missed in the first half, like they they weren't necessarily a result of Bad shots or even being rushed, like he just he just missed a couple, and that that happens. And especially the little kind of like scoop inside hand lefty layup, like he missed that in the first half. He literally made the exact same layup in the second half, and I thought that was a really good example of what we're talking about. Like hey, I'm okay, it's gonna be okay. I just I'll, I'll make the next one, Coach. And I think that a game like what uh, Saturday, I think that that helped the Reed Shepard John Calipari relationship. When it comes to playing through some struggles,
2: talk with Brandon Ramsey uh, on uh, YouTube. You can see uh, his uh, was his weekly re- uh, show, Brandon. Or yep, yeah. yeah, yeah. So on YouTube, um, you can
1: find the Brandon Ramsey College Basketball Show YouTube channel. There, I host episodes, uh, which I call "All Fired Up" with Brandon Ramsey on Wednesdays at twelve thirty. Um, and then the Brandon Ramsey College Basketball Show is also on. Uh, podcast on Spotify or wherever you listen um, on Monday mornings and Friday mornings,
2: and of course the post sit on three sports and KSR. <laughs> a couple of other things about uh, I thought DJ Wagner was better uh, when he came back in and went back to running some of the offense in terms of finding teammates uh, and not trying to to finish everything. So uh, maybe a little growth for him from seeing it from being you know on the on the bench for. Uh, a little while and getting a, a read at it and uh, or a look at it and uh, that I think is just his evolution. He's got to add a little more to his game on the drive. It's all about that le- going left and teams know that and so maybe whether it's a floater, I don't know other things that that he can add in addition to kicking the ball out that'll make him better by by March.
1: Yeah, he um, he he obviously missed a couple early and and I felt like and this is something I've written about since the game of a couple of those early layups that DJ missed were a lot like the layups he was missing early in the season when his percentages were so low. And then I feel like as the season has gone on, he's done a better job of getting that one more dribble, kind of getting his shoulders past the defender, getting himself to the rim as opposed to having to shoot kind of a running outstretched lefty uh, over uh, a taller defender. And a lot of times he's outside of the paint when he's doing that and then in the second half we saw him drive and kick it a little bit more either again to a redrive or you know at least once early in the second half he had a beautiful pass to reach Shepard in the corner for a three Um, and yeah I I, I just think that he needs to continue to find some more ways of scoring it like you said other than just continued left hand drives either getting some confidence to come back to his right uh, or to stop and pop a little bit more with a floater or a little Eight foot pull up, um, or just to keep driving and kicking it more. Like there, there's enough guys on this team that can, they can shoot it. I think that can be really effective for him as well.
2: And the other guy I want to talk about is uh, Onyenso. Um, he came on the scene in the Carolina. Uh, got his first extended action down at A and M when Bradshaw got into uh, frequent and early foul trouble in uh, in the game, and he. Ugo didn't play the pick and rolls great. They got annihilated in that particular play by the A&M guards. Um, Then uh, we we saw more of it, you know, in South Carolina, not just with Ugo, but all the bigs. This was, I thought, Farnham played that particular part of it and took a major step toward maybe making that, you know, less of an issue for their defense moving forward. And uh, talk to us a little bit about what you saw and how he improved their defense.
1: Yeah, uh, Ugo was outstanding, I thought, especially on the defensive end um, on, on Saturday. And some of that came from, and it's something I wrote about actually in a post on Wednesday, kind of talked about um, some of Kentucky's defensive issues and how to fix them. And something I talked about was turning blocking shots into rim protection. And I think that's an important kind of delineation for some fans to understand with this team that Kentucky's been excellent at blocking shots this year. But they haven't been great at truly protecting the rim. Like, for until Saturday's game, teams were still shooting over 50% from two against Kentucky, despite being top 10 in block rate. Um, and Hugo's obviously one of the best shot blockers in the country, but people still score at the rim when he's not blocking shots. And, and Saturday, he turned that into some true rim protection. One time, he forced the guy to travel simply by standing in front of the rim. And I think that whether it be some defensive concept changes or just Ugo being in the right spot, he he just stayed at the rim more defensive, for lack of a better term, in the way of guys as they came to drive it, um, as opposed to getting pulled away from the rim too much, which sort of neutralizes his shot blocking ability. So I thought there was some growth there for him um, and just the team defensively of playing to your strengths a little bit and saying, hey, we have one of the best shot blockers in the country. How about we try to park him in the paint as much as possible to to be there when these drives occur. Well, there's
2: got to be an analytic that measures not only shots blocked but shots affected because that number would have been high for him. You mentioned mentioned the walking call. There were others where guys you know missed shots that he contested in the lane, and other times where you see an Arkansas guy look at the basket, and go, "Nope, not going to do that." <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. The, the,
1: the, the, there's definitely more to being a great friendly blocking shots. it's those shots that you deter those shots that you completely you know get them to turn down it's the turnovers you create and I thought we saw more of that from Ugo on Saturday than just the traditional shot block numbers I mean he still blocked three shots but as you said I mean the, the number might be closer to 10 in terms of shots that either just didn't happen or got turned over or got missed because of his
2: Brandon, thank you uh, much for the time, and uh, we'll uh, get to you uh, again uh, to break down Kentucky tape. Thank you. Absolutely. Anytime, Tom. Thanks. That's uh, Brandon Ramsey and the coach, former uh, college basketball coach, now doing uh, posts and uh, a lot of coverage of the game for uh, On3Sports and his YouTube channel and his podcast, so check it all out to follow the uh, college in Kentucky and elsewhere. Adam Luckett will talk a little Kentucky football when we come right back. It's the Leech Report, presented by Bobcat Enterprises as we welcome in Adam Luckett. Uh, you can read his coverage of Kentucky football at uh, on 3 Sports, KSR. want to talk a little bit about uh, the news that Kentucky is going to get Eric Wolford back as its O line coach. Uh, what was your take when you saw that news roll across your desk?
4: Yeah, I was, I was uh, more so of the timing of it. Um, I'm not surprised that they maybe decided to move on and make a change at offensive line coach, um, but definitely surprised at the timing of the situation that had happened. Um, obviously a unique situation with Nick Saban um, retiring late in the calendar. Um, and I know there's been some public statements about how they felt. It wasn't – heavy about Wolfert left, but I do think this is a business and you kind of kiss and make up. you got to make the best business decision possible i um, so not really surprised that they would get him to return but definitely was somewhat surprised about the timing um, of the move.
2: I guess it had to do with Alabama making the change and uh Wolford not staying all with a guy that uh that you know um is and has a rep as an outstanding recruiter which would seem to be a big a big part of this. Uh I I, mm-hmm. I would think given the circumstances of his departure this probably doesn't happen if you don't have the the Youngstown connection there, somebody you know that Stoops has known for a long time and guys on his staff.
4: Right, I think you hit on two key points. Um, the recruiting aspect is really, really big here. Um, they have really struggled to recruit that position um, in the high school ranks. Uh, Wolford didn't, is not known as a good recruiter, and he that's one of the main reasons I think Nick Saban hired him. I mean, he went out and got dudes for Nick Saban, and so he's probably going to get players for Kentucky. I think that's big. And then the Youngstown connection, um, it's huge there, and he's got uh, work experience with a lot of the staff. He worked with Liam Cohen in 2021, um, so there is a, the, he knows what he's stepping into, and so I think all those boxes he was able to check for Kentucky and um, kind of shows you what they what they felt about the situation. I mean, during during the season, even when the offensive line looked improved, that I think both Mark Stoops and Liam Cohen were hesitant to give much props to the offensive line. Always talked about how we need to be more dominant. We need to be more physical. We need to be able to reset the line of scrimmage, yada, yada, yada. And I think that that shows that they they probably did want to make a change, but maybe they didn't know that there was a clear slam dunk. They didn't want to make the move. I think they probably felt Wolford was a clear upgrade. So I think that is why they ended up making the move once he became available.
2: Do you think his arrival will uh, bring any other players in via the transfer portal in the O-line?
4: I think that's definitely something they're going to look at um, once the spring window opens. That, that is definitely on the table. I mean, we'll have to see. Some like Jalen Farmer is an interesting one to me because he recruited Jalen Farmer um, both at Kentucky and then to come to Alabama. So there's definitely a relationship there. And so as he um, overtakes someone at guard, and they're just where do they sit overall at tackle? Um, so I definitely think that's something that they will look at with him in there. Um, and I think they would have looked at it with Yenzer there too, but with Wolford there, he can maybe go out and get a, one of his guys, and so that, I think that's definitely something they're going to take a close look at this spring.
2: Going into to spring, what are the positions you think they are most uh, concerned about shoring up?
4: Yeah, I think right tackle is a big one. Um, what do they do at right tackle with Jeremy Flax moving on? brought in Gerald Mincy from Tennessee. You got Cortland Ford back. Um, how do they fill their right tackle? I think it's a big one. And Ford and Mincy, I mean, they've Mincy's pl- had to play through injury. He's been injured a few times. Um, Ford got a little banged up this year at, at certain points. Uh, and so that's something they're going have to have to look at. And then I think starting cornerback outside of Maxwell Harrison and then nickel are the, are the other kind of two spots um, to watch. Uh, that, that's the two I think if you're looking to shore up through the portal. I think those are big ones. And then I think there's some starting positions that are intriguing. You bring Christian Story in at safety, and you figure he's going to push either Jordan Lovett or or Zion Childress. And then I think Jalen Farmer at guard is going to come in and I think push potentially for a starting spot. Um, So those are kind of the four or five positions I'll be monitoring closely.
2: Yeah, that Andrew Phillips role is uh, significant. A guy who was a starting corner that would then slide down when you wanted to go to five DBs, he'd be the nickel and you'd bring in a third corner. Uh, when they had Mike Edwards, Edwards would right. slide down from safety and, and be the guy covering a slot receiver, and you'd bring in a third safety. So you can do it from you know either from the corner or the safety position. So maybe it's one of those safeties that they do that with.
4: Yeah, I think you look at Zion Childress maybe. He did play nickel at Texas State before he transferred over to Kentucky, so he could be a candidate there. We saw Jansen Dunn play that a little bit. Dunn has a corner and safety background. He played safety at Ohio State and then played corner here at Kentucky. So they do have some in-house options right now, and we're just going to have to see how that plays out. I think um, Tyron Nichols, true freshman coming in, I think he's a guy that could potentially um, at some point this year earn st- snaps with the first team. So he's going to be one to watch, I think, there too. And I, I think that's a position, again, at corner they definitely could take a look um, here in the spring window and see see what they have during practice and, and then see what's available um, when that portal reopens
2: uh, adam appreciate the uh the time we'll talk more as we get closer to spring practice thank you tom as adam luckett you can uh, read him it on three sports at adam luckett ksr on twitter or x we'll be right back with our final segment of the Leach Report, presented by Bobcat Enterprises. This day of Wildcat history, a service of Kentucky Roadshow sports cards and memorabilia on Romney Road in Lexington. This day of 2013, Nerlens Noel blocked a school record 12 shots in a Kentucky win at Ole Miss. And a belated happy birthday to... Kentucky Hall of Famer Tony Delk, who celebrated yesterday. Go to RoadshowCards.com, get details on the two big autograph signings at Kentucky Roadshow this week. Rob Dillingham will be there on Thursday night, Tyler Uliss on Friday night. RoadshowCards.com to get details and to get tickets. Uh, the SEC race now has Bama and Tennessee tied for the top. Bama 6-1, Tennessee's 5-1. They're tied in the loss column. South Carolina, Auburn, Kentucky all 5-2. Bama has to go to Georgia on Wednesday, and then Kentucky gets Tennessee and Rupp Arena on Saturday.
3: See you tomorrow the on the Leach Report. Report. Anytime you miss the show, you can listen to the podcast at TomLeachKY.com, WLAP.com, or 790 lewablecom And anytime you're out of range of the stations, catch the show via the iHeartRadio app. If you have any questions for Tom, email leachreport at gmail.com. And check out his website at tomleachky.com. With
0: lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
3: Sorry.